Well, good evening, everyone. Uh, my name is Matt, and it's uh, my job tonight to take us through something of the Christmas story in three installments. Uh, one of my favourite things about Christmas is Christmas dinner. Um, funny, growing up, uh, I always looked forward to Christmas dinner, but there was always it was always surrounded by some disappointment uh, because my mother always made me eat Brussels sprouts. Um, and Brussels sprouts split the nation, I think. Um, hands up if you like Brussels sprouts. Oh my gosh, there's a lot of you. Wow, what a bunch of weirdos. Anyway, um, and then there's a whole bunch of people who really don't like Brussels sprouts. Yes, look at this side. Interesting, all young people here. And does anyone absolutely detest them? Like, hate them with a passion? Okay, I... I'm feeling your pain. The researchers, uh, scientists have done the research and apparently there's a chemical in Brussels sprouts that super tasters can taste. No one else can taste it. It makes them absolutely revolting. So well done, you super tasters out there. Um, so Christmas dinner, I love it, but often surrounded by disappointment because of Brussels sprouts. Now, as an adult, obviously I don't have to eat my sprouts. But I remember early on in our marriage, Pip decided to lay out a beautiful spread for Christmas dinner. She like took charge of it. She says, I'll sort out Christmas dinner for you. And Anessa sat down, guess what she served me? Soup and bread. I mean, evil woman. That, um, no, not even turkey for my soup. Uh, not even turkey in my soup, but just soup and bread. And then to top it all off, last Christmas dinner, uh, we had the worst Christmas dinner ever. We were traveling with the kids, uh, visiting family, and all the kids were really, really hungry, and so we just had to find somewhere that was open, and the only place that was open for Christmas dinner was McDonald's. <laughs> and uh, don't judge me too quickly. I made it very clear that you had something, you had to have something sort of turkey and roast potato related, so much chicken sandwich and fries, you know, I sort of thought about requesting a knife so I could carve, you know, traditionally, and I only ate half of mine, I thought it was so disgusting, even the dog wouldn't eat it. So Christmas, Christmas, I love Christmas, I love Christmas dinner, but Christmas and disappointment often go together. Yes, there's meant to be joy at Christmas, but, and, but Christmas begins in darkness. We heard it actually mentioned twice in our reading this evening. Uh, we've actually got it on the screen again. Isaiah 9, verse 2. Why don't we just read this together? Why don't you read with me? The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. I'm being joined at the front. Wonderful. The second time in that sentence, Isaiah the prophet calls it a deep darkness. Yes, a light dawns. But we'll see, it comes from the outside of the world. Darkness is the context. That's important to remember at Christmas time, especially as it can be a really difficult time. If you're ill, if you're unemployed, if you're broke, if you're alone, if you're depressed, Christmas can be really rough. In 2010, 18% of respondents agreed with the statement, I dread Christmas. That's that's one in five people across our nation really find Christmas difficult. For many of us, Christmas is anything but a wonderful time of year. Half a million UK families will have an empty chair at Christmas lunch because they've lost someone this year. 
If you're finding Christmas particularly hard, Isaiah assures you, you are not alone, yet the true context for Christmas is darkness. So the question is, what do we do about it? And I want to propose to you this evening that there are four responses to the darkness, four kinds of Christmas, but each kind of Christmas represents an approach to life too, a way of handling the brokenness of the world. And we've got them on the screen for you. The first, if we can just have the next slide, is Scrooge. Scrooge says, yes, darkness is all around, so embrace it. Secondly, you've got a shopper. You might be a shopper. A shopper says, the light is going out, so let's celebrate while we can. Whereas thirdly, Santa, Santa says, darkness, what darkness? And they choose to believe that all is light. And lastly, you have a stable. The stable preaches the original Christmas message. Here, we take the darkness seriously, but by entering it, we're offered the brightest future. So there's four kinds of Christmas to choose from. To illustrate the four ways that we handle the struggles of life. I wonder which do you lean towards? Which do you want to be? And we're going to learn more about these as our evening goes on. So we're looking at four kinds of Christmas, four ways of approaching the darkness. And first up is Scrooge. I don't know how many of you have read or watched Dickens' uh, Christmas Carol. My personal favorite is The Muppet Christmas Carol, released back in 1992. Stellar cast, uh, Michael Caine alongside Miss Piggy and Kermit the Frog and Fuzzy Bear. And its main character, Ebenezer Scrooge, who had this ruthlessly consistent approach to the darkness. He looked out onto a bleak world. He looked into a bleak future and embraced it. He famously said this, every idiot who goes about with Merry Christmas on his lips should be boiled with his own pudding and buried with a stake of holly through his heart. Scrooge says, become just as bitter as your bitter circumstances and say bah humbug to Christmas. That's an approach to Christmas and it's an approach to life. Do you know any Scrooges? Are you a Scrooge? Perhaps, if we're really honest, there's a bit of Scrooge in all of us. See, the, the darkness is not just out there in my wintry circumstances, but it's also in here, in my heart. When life gets hard, I can get harder. When things turn gloomy, so do I. And when the lights come on, I'm not always the keenest to brave the brightness. You know, every nightclub owner knows this. How do you get rid of your punters at closing time? It's simple. You just turn on the lights. You see, in the dark, we can do what we want. In the gloom, we won't be bothered or shown up or held to account. That's why the darkness doesn't just happen to us, but we also choose it. Do you ever wonder why Christmas can be so strained at times? You know, we're surrounded by the people that we love the most, yet they're often the ones that we speak to most harshly. We reserve some of the worst behavior, our bitterest words, our ugliest selfishness for those we call our loved ones. What what are we like? If you ask me, there's not only darkness around us in our suffering circumstances, but there's 
also a darkness in our own selfish hearts. And yes, I know that all sounds a bit bar humbug right now, but that's the point. As with the Christmas carol, the best stories in the whole wide world begin with a problem. And according to the Bible, this is ours. We're in a pit. We're groping in the dark. There's an incredible happy ending to come, I promise. But right now, we need to face facts. What do you think? Is there any truth to what I'm saying? Is darkness a fair summary of the human problem? And are you a Scrooge in response? Listen, if Scrooge believes it's darkness now and darkness forever... The shopper says, don't be so gloomy. Let's shop till we drop. Let's celebrate. The Christmas shopper wears the brightest seasonal knitwear, as modeled by Tim. The the novelty reindeer socks. I'm sure Ian's got a pair of those on. And the obligatory Rudolph headband. Now, the shopper is not religious. They've given up on Jesus and the church. Without such beliefs, they figure out that this life is all there is. So they try and make the most of it. They spend now and they pay later. According to Uswitch, many of us take this route. Worryingly, over half of us expect to be still paying for those Christmas debts at Christmas next year. Essentially, shoppers are merrymakers. They spend big and live it up while they can. There's something right, though, about a shopper's response to the darkness. You see, we're not meant to be Scrooges. We're built for joy. However, if you just look a little bit closer with me, if you're a shopper, you don't actually believe in a happily ever after. Essentially, a shopper has the same view of the future as Scrooge. Without a belief in God or anything beyond death, the shopper's life is about blazing brightly until the batteries run out because the grave awaits and nothing else. And without such hope, a shopper's Christmas cheer is like the Christmas tree that I recently bought. A few days after Christmas, it will start to fade. Its needles will drop and eventually it will die. And actually, just talking of Christmas trees, I couldn't resist. But um, the worst Christmas tree I've ever, ever seen in my life uh, was shown to me by a friend of mine recently. It comes to Mosaic. And I don't know if any of you had the privilege of going out into a field and choosing your own Christmas tree to chop down. Well, if you've ever done that, well, this friend's dad did that. And this is a picture of the tree that he chose. I mean, look at the state of that. Isn't that the worst tree you've ever seen? Worst Christmas tree ever. So Scrooge or Shopper, is that how you handle the darkness? Well, the Scrooges and the Shoppers of this world are pretty secular. They're not really believers as such. But the Santas of this world are different. They are spiritual, trusting that there is more to life than the darkness. Why do they, what do they believe? Well, essentially, they believe in Santa. But they don't just imagine a rather large man living at the North Pole. Rather, they think there is a God or some kind of spiritual power, and he's basically a big Santa in the sky. The similarities between Santa and the popular perceptions of God are endless. Santa is basically for children. He lives very, very far away. He's irrelevant to the vast majority of our lives. Uh, And if we really want something, we 
might put in a request. He doesn't ever show up, not that we see, but actually we're not sure we want him to show up. We want what Santa gives us, but we'd rather he comes in briefly and then out again of our lives. That's Santa. But it's also the common view of God. For so many people, God is distant. He's mostly irrelevant. He's possibly jolly, but not a particularly personable dispenser of stuff. We want his things, and we certainly don't want him. And isn't it curious the way that Santa gives gifts? Because Santa doesn't give gifts, does he? He gives rewards for good behavior. If you're naughty, you get coal in your stocking. And perhaps this is part of the Santa story that sounds most like our views of God. We fear that God is basically a big old moralist, rewarding and punishing good and bad behavior. You all know the song, and I'm not going to sing it. He's making a list. He's checking it twice. Going to find out who's naughty or nice. Santa Claus is coming to town. Was that actually someone disappointed that I wasn't singing that? He knows when you are sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows when you've been bad or good. So be good for goodness sake. Have you ever stopped to consider how creepy that is in reality? I mean, it's meant to be a Christmas sort of song, but it's like the North Korean national anthem or something like that. Here's what I'm really concerned about. That many people think that God is a Santa in the sky. That he's just like a childish fairy tale or a distant moralist who's making a list and checking it twice. But Christians don't believe in Santa in the sky. If that's who God is, then make me an atheist. Like, who can be bothered with an invisible benefactor who's far away? Not me, not any Christian. When Christians talk about God... We're not talking about wish fulfillment. We're not talking about a light which we really hope exists beyond the darkness. But we're talking about a light that showed up in the darkness. And this is a very different prospect. And it's our fourth kind of Christmas, a stable. In our last reading, John talks about a light that was born in a stable that is a person. John 1 verse 9 says, Jesus is the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. This is no fairy story. The light is this royal child born into our darkness. Santa gives rewards from a distance. But here is the light who gives himself to us, radiating God's own presence and peace. Here is a child who grows up to be a man, a king who overcomes the darkness. Christmas time sees um, airports crammed full of tearful reunions. People pay thousands of pounds and cross oceans just to be with one another at Christmas. Why? Well, love bears the cost to draw near. Love bears the cost to draw near. And Jesus bears the cost to draw near to us. And it's actually on the cross that Jesus bears the full cost that Uh, For all that separates us from him, paying off our debts to God in full. He suffers on the cross a dark hell which our sins deserve, but then bursts through death into life on Easter Sunday. 
Now he comes to each of us in this land of deep shadow and says this very simply. I know your darkness. Let me be your light. Perhaps this Christmas, the way you deal with the darkness is by coming to the one who enters into it and defeats it for you. So which kind of Christmas are you? Are you Scrooge? A Scrooge says darkness wins. Let's all get used to it. But we know that we're built for joy. Are you a shopper? A shopper says darkness is coming, so we better celebrate now. But we know that we're built for hope. Or are you Santa? Santa says forget the darkness, all is light. But none of us can deny the truth of our plight. But the stable says darkness is real, but the light has dawned. And here we face the truth of our darkness, yet joyfully hope in the light. Where do you stand this Christmas? Where do you stand in life in general? With Jesus, you you get the best of all those three options. You can acknowledge the darkness, that it's tough. You can celebrate in your hope and you can look to a God that is no fairy tale. He can be known and is worth knowing. He doesn't want to be distant. He's not watching from heaven waiting for you to put a step wrong. He's not making a list and waiting to see if you've been a good or bad boy or girl this year. But rather he comes, he stoops and he draws alongside. 